the edge of the familiar, where your comfort zone ends and the unknown stretches before you. That's where greatness awaits. Are you ready to take that leap? This is the Risk Big Podcast with your host, Travis Fitzwater. So I'm here at at Pro Food System with Sean Bertram, the CEO of the uh, the company. Uh, really, really excited to be here. Sean and I have had a relationship for a couple of years um, uh, on multiple levels outside the building, Chamber of Commerce, and my legislative work. But really excited to talk to him as the entrepreneur, Sean, uh, the guy that started a business that um, about 20 years ago now that has has done really, really well. And I think really an inspiring story on how entrepreneurs are thinking that they want to take a leap, eventually have an idea, have a, a product or, or something that they'd like to get out of, to market. Uh, I think Sean will be inspiring to those folks who are thinking about um, starting a business, becoming the entrepreneurs they've dreamed that they wanted to be. And so with that, Sean, thanks a lot for joining the podcast. Yeah, glad to be here. Appreciate you asking me and uh, love to talk about the entrepreneurship and, uh, and these type of things. So just glad to be here. Well, thanks again. First question I want to start with is uh, really kind of an interesting question, but uh, what's the best lesson your father ever taught you? Uh, that's a tough one. There, there's there's been so many of them. Um, I, I think if there's one one lesson that really sticks with me, it uh, he had a saying, uh, one of many sayings, but uh, never cut somebody else off of the knees to make yourself look taller. Uh, it's just something that uh, he said repeatedly. Um, it's always stuck with me, and obviously the the intent of that expression is uh, to never to never put somebody else down uh, to make yourself feel better. Uh, so I've kind of carried that with me all through life. Uh, I think another one that uh, I'll give you two here because I think another important one that's actually one of our core values is you never get a second chance to make a first impression, and uh, those are those are two of his uh, many sayings that uh, that we've taken along through uh, through our company and through our culture. Uh, but uh, they're life lessons as well. Yeah, well, that's those are terrific points. And so as you think through what your father taught you and how you grew up, how does that translate? How did that translate into you starting this business and your story as a company almost 20 years ago, maybe even 20 years at this point, but almost 20 years ago when you started Pro Foods? Well, number one, my dad's been my hero. I mean, without a doubt, he's uh, he's been a, a big influence for me. The uh, I still remember a phone call I made to him when I was thinking about leaving my job and going out and doing this, and uh, uh, his words were, I think it's time to go. And uh, that was just really the, the, uh, the push I needed just to go ahead and do it, uh, besides uh, my wife Julie supporting it, uh, but just having the support of, of my dad and knowing that he was, uh, he was in the corner and supporting me. So uh, just think that's important. Uh, he's, he's been a great influence. Uh, my mom has as well. I'm just fortunate to have uh, two parents that are, are still around and uh, very supportive, but great role models on top of that. That's, that's um, I know he's very, very involved in the community here locally too, so it's, it's really great to have, have both of you, all of your, your family here. And I'm glad you came back from Willard, Missouri, back to Central Missouri. So tell us a little bit about Willard, Missouri and how you and your wife decided Hey, we're going to quit our jobs. You had yet to start a family, I think, but you were kind of on the precipice of saying, "Hey, let's start having kids." Your wife, I believe, stayed at home. So, how how does that story begin for you guys? 
Yeah, actually, I'm not from uh, the central Missouri area. I grew up in Farmington, so uh, it, it was really getting back to where she's from. She grew up in a vase and, and still has family around this area. And so it did have a lot to do with having our first kid as we came back to the area. But as far as getting started in the business, uh, one, of, one of the things that I talk about a lot is we, we made the decision that she wanted to stay home and, and raise uh, what is now our three daughters. We didn't know that at the time, but ended up having three girls and uh, couldn't have asked for anything better. But the, uh, the decision was made actually after we'd had our first daughter and uh, we, we went from a double income family with no kids uh, almost uh, within a, a six month period to a no income family with with one uh, with one little one to raise so looking back it probably wasn't the great <laughs> the greatest timing to, to do something certainly wouldn't want to go back and do that again as, as far as uh, the, the timing of it but that's what we decided to do and we stuck together and, and we made it work so what were some of the challenges when you started other than obviously you know you go from two incomes you're probably just scraping by financially, what are what were some of those significant challenges as you began at the beginning uh, of your journey here with Pro Foods? Yeah, I think I think that is the biggest challenge. Really, it, it's certainly an income stream, especially when you 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 did it the way we did it. Uh, a lot of companies can start uh, as as you're working for somebody else, and uh, you you can you can start your business part time. For us, that that didn't work ethically because we were actually going out and competing with with who was my former employer, and uh, didn't have the intention of doing that. Kind of fell into the opportunity, but at the end of the day, I wanted to make sure that I was ethical and in, in everything uh, all the way up to the last minute of working for him. So. Um, the, the biggest challenge was that income and, and the lack of income and, and you get out of a current job that you're successful at and you get into a situation where you've got a home office and I can remember sitting in that office that first day, the phone's not ringing of course and uh, it's, uh, it's pretty bare so uh, you just got to get out there and in our case uh, I had to get out there and sell some stuff. Yeah, so, so your first year you're really, I, I assume you're grinding more than probably you've ever You've been grind. You've had to grind in your in your professional career. What were some of the interactions just as you kind of laid out this vision with your wife and you guys discussed it? I know she's been very much a part of this business as you've gone through the years. Uh, what were some of as you were going through these challenges? How how did you guys deal with all all that together as a family? Yeah. Uh, she, she'd probably be a better one to ask about some of those things. I'm sure she's got a better memory uh, th than I do on some of it. Uh, it I, I will say it's just a challenge. Uh, she's been super supportive and sometimes uh, I've, I've, had, uh, I've had to work more than we both would have liked and especially in the early days it, it just takes a lot of time and commitment to make it work especially as we started rolling, rolling and growing at the pace that we were growing. Uh, very difficult to keep up with and, and those are good problems to have but it's also uh, a heavy workload and, and lots of uh, cash flow challenges that come along with that growth so lot, lots of overall family challenges I think entrepreneurs in general you have to find that work-life balance and some people do it better than others and uh, you know I, I, I would say I could look back and I probably could have done some things a little bit better but fortunate uh, that uh, the family understands that and has stuck with me. Yeah, and that's that's seemingly very important in any, really in anything, but entrepreneurs especially. You know, you you become that company you create, and so I can imagine you're going to sleep at night. You're you're thinking about how do I make this work for my family tomorrow, and so uh, that's a significant thought. 
changing directions a little bit, how did you how did you come up with your niche? Because you were you were pretty niche. You knew kind of the, the, the customer you were going after. When you started, you weren't just like, I'm gonna try to do everything for everybody. I'm gonna focus on this niche group of grocers or uh, stores that, that could really use my service. Yeah, I think in the early days for me, it was, it was a, a good thing that I was already in this space and I understood the business. So uh, we did stay focused on supermarkets and convenience stores and, and really staying focused in a, in a branded chicken program. We had a vision of, of doing it better at the time than a lot of our competitors uh, were, were doing it and that, that meant bringing on the proteins, refrigerated uh, products and, and frozen products and some of those types of things. So uh, a little bit more difficult than I anticipated back in the day, but uh, we, we really stayed in that niche and, and tried to stay focused and that's one thing that I would encourage entrepreneurs to do. So many people try to be all things to all people and whatever you determine that niche is. Uh, you really just have to stay focused on it, assuming it's working for you. And, and we tried to get out outside the box several times. Uh, I'll use one example as a pizza program. We tried to roll back when we were too small and really didn't have the resources to do that. Uh, the pizza program didn't work, and uh, we came back to, to chicken, and, and we really have stayed focused on chicken and equipment, uh, which has been our niche for 19 years now. Yeah, and so I think that's a, maybe a good lesson for entrepreneurs who want to maybe try to, like yesterday when we talked to my, my friend in our interview, he mentioned he had this why he wanted to do something and the how kind of came afterwards, how you were going to implement that strategy. Um, but also, it's also good once you start, um, it's seemingly, it's good once you start figuring out what that how looks like, that you're okay with cutting your losses in certain areas to ensure that you're focused in, in another area. Yeah, I think that's true. I, th I think on the flip side, and we have a culture here of, of encouraging mistakes, and entrepreneurship is about making mistakes mm -hmm. and learning from them. So all of the mistakes that I've made over the years, which has been a lot of them, uh, I don't think a true entrepreneur gets through and, and is successful without going through those things. Uh, most entrepreneurs that really are successful and, and are part of a high growth company, especially, they're used to making mistakes and they can put that behind them and move on. Sure. And I, I don't know why I neglected to talk about a little bit about what you, your, the company actually does. So why don't you just give a quick 30 second rundown of what your company does, how you, um, what you started with and what you've become now in this, in this corporate park here in Holt Summit. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're certainly a lot different than we were before, but, uh, but our niche really hasn't changed much. Back, back to your questioning, uh, we, we, we are now a 100% employee-owned company. Uh, our flagship program is Champ's Chicken. We, we take that program into primarily supermarkets and convenience stores. Now we have uh, different branded programs, including private label programs that we'll take into supermarkets and convenience stores. And uh, our, our really, our core purpose uh, and, and really higher purpose is helping other people be more successful in work and in life. So that, that's, that's something that we talk about a lot. We're, we're not just pro food systems. We really care about our people and we want to help them be successful. And we realize some people are going to move on and that's just part of life as well. But we hope we played a part in that if they move on to, to something more successful and one of the one of the biggest things is if they go out and start their own company and create uh, some more capitalism, we're, we're definitely proud of them. We really teach a lot about the financials and, and what it takes to run a business. Yeah, and I think that goes for obviously your partners and especially your employees. And I, that, that leads perfectly into the next questions I have about your culture and what you've created here as a company. 
really thinking for the employees and then also follow up on the ESOP issue. But um, tell, talk a little bit about how you created this culture that really is thinking towards the employees more than just worried about your bottom line. Yeah, I think the it's really something that's come along and come together, I'd say, in the past seven years uh, when I started reading and studying and really, really got to a point where we were growing a ton and, and weren't making any money, weren't very profitable, even 13, you know, 12, 13 years into the venture. Uh, that's what can happen in a high growth company. I mean, you, you just dedicate all of your resources to uh, the things that suck up cash and, and, and primarily in our business, that's people for expansion. So. Um, the the culture has always been there. I think back to your question about how you're raised as a person, what what's inside you as an entrepreneur. Uh, ultimately, that culture is there, but you just don't know about it, uh, not focused on it. Seven years ago, we really started to focus on that and our core purpose and our mission, our vision. But but those core values we came up with. Uh, something called the happiness rule. That's 13 things that as a company we decided we're going to live by and uh, it just takes a constant amount of work to make sure that we're hiring and firing and doing all of these things based upon those core values and uh, we look at we look at values and attitude about 75 to 80 percent of the person and we feel we can teach the skill set if we get the right personalities on board. Hmm. And a follow-up to that is how, how did you see a difference in your company as you went from, you already had some values that were inherent, obviously, when you started, because you obviously have these things you were taught by your dad, and you came in knowing you want to serve people, you want to give a good product, you want to make sure people succeed. But how did, when you really kind of, you really kind of pinned down what your values would be as a company, what did you see happen after, as a result of that? Well, ultimately, we see a much stronger process because we've we've wrapped our entire hiring process around our core values and, and just consistently gotten better at it year over year. Uh, I, w I will say it just like anything else, it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, as an entrepreneur, most, most entrepreneurs are quick start people. I mean, they go. That's why they're where they're at. Uh, I've got that same personality. I, I like to go and sometimes uh, just need the people to, to, to take care of the details. I uh, didn't necessarily have that completely in place seven years ago. So it just takes time to, to build that culture. A lot, of, a lot of people will put things on paper or, or maybe put one sign on the wall and they think, okay, we've got these core values. Uh, it's really different when you talk about them every day and, you, and you're actually living by those values and you have those expectations. So uh, I guess to answer your question in short, you, you, you can't just develop those core values and never talk about them and never use them. You have to put a lot of thought into them, get the team involved in, in making those core values, uh, and uh, ultimately you've got to hold people accountable to them. Yeah, and that that's uh, a thought leading into to a quote that you gave on the radio a couple years ago, but you said our people are what sets us apart. Can you talk a little bit about how important people are to your business, not just what the product you're sending out, and that's obviously a part of your culture, is making one where employees are happy to work here. You're, you know, you guys are always voted as one of the best places to work in Missouri. Uh, can you speak a little bit about how the people that you have here set you apart? Yeah, that's one. That's one consistency over the 19 years. And I'll, I'll go back. Uh, Daryl Hale was the first salesperson I've, I've hired, and and Daryl is still here today. But we said back in the day, even when we were a very small company of three or four people, that our people set us apart. I mean, we're going to be there to take care of you. And uh, that's, that's just how we created our customer service model. 
Uh, we've certainly slipped up some over the years. As, as you grow, you, you, can't, uh, you can't or you forget to build that infrastructure. But uh, to go back really to your question, the, the people, in, in my opinion, are the most important. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Jim Collins and his book, Good to Great. Mm. Uh, Jim hits the nail right on the head when he says, first who, then what? He is very adamant that you, you get the right people in the right seats on the bus, and then after that, you can figure out what you're going to do. And I'm a big believer in that. Uh, I'll, I'll go back to that that first salesperson, Daryl. I mean, I, I just got the right person on board there from the start, and Daryl's really helped build this company. But it's no different in any other position or any other department. I mean, I can name our entire senior leadership team, uh, some of our uh, key managers, but all, all the way down to the people that do the work. It's it really does come down to the people and uh, we again we just hold people accountable to our core value and uh, our core values and coming back to what Jim Collins says the three things that made many companies successful that he studied they have fun they care and they hold people accountable to those high expectations and uh, those those three things is something I say in every interview that I'm involved with and and speaking a little bit more to that you guys have put legs behind it as far as not just saying, because it's easy for an organization to say, hey, this is our culture, these are our values, but not actually do it. You guys have not only have you created this environment that's a great workspace, but you've also, you've done this unique thing where you've created an employee stock ownership program where the employees actually are owners of the company, which is a phenomenal model to think towards not necessarily the CEO being at the top of the rung, getting all the benefits of the growth and the, the what's happening. But can you talk a little bit about the thought process on making an ESOP program for, for Pro Foods and how that's, that's worked out for you as a company? Yeah, it's, it's worked out great for us, number one. I'm a huge fan of the ESOP, the ESOP model, uh, the, the benefits involved with the ESOP for all parties. Uh, it's, it, the ESOP is a qualified retirement plan, but at the end of the day, the owners do have stock and that stock is distributed over the years based upon the valuation of the company. So in our case, unlike a lot of people that put an ESOP in place, we had an ownership thinking mentality already before we went to that ESOP. That's what we've been working on for the past seven years is everybody thinking and acting like owners, understanding the financials, even having a profit distribution program based upon the profitability of the company. Everybody's wrapped up around the same goal. So we had a very good culture and a very good ownership mentality going into that ESOP. Uh, for us, we're in our first year of the ESOP, so I, I can't tell you exactly how it's worked out, uh, other than uh, I think the, the morale is, uh, is at record highs just because people know they now have stock option ownership, which is distributed evenly uh, among people. We, it's a non-disqualified retirement plan, so we have no discretion on how we distribute those funds based upon how much money they make as a percentage of total payroll. So the model is fairly expensive to put in place, so you do have sure. to be a certain size in order to justify it, uh, which is unfortunate in my opinion that we can't make that model a little bit easier for smaller companies. I think other people would do it. But uh, at, at the end of the day, I, I think it's going to work out great for us. I'm excited for what it's going to do for all of our employee owners. Yeah, and that, so growing that culture of ownership thinking, which is part of having stock in the company, and if you're an employee here, not you're not just getting paid. You have an option to to build this retirement. You have ownership with the company, so you want to see it succeed. You're not just just an employee. You're an owner. It's it's pretty fascinating. And then you also said in this interview that. 
you had this open book management system that you you like to use. Can you talk a little bit about what that what that meant for employees and how being transparent in that way was was really helpful for for your morale and your culture? Yeah, that actually came along right about seven years ago as as well. It was when I really started reading and studying again. But that open book management concept initially came to me from a book called The Great Game of Business. Uh, it was written by a guy by the name of Jack Stack out of Springfield, Missouri, who's got a great success story of his own down with SRC. Uh, to sum Jack's mentality up uh, real real quickly, it's uh, we, we need more capitalists. Uh, so we, we kind of have the same vision on uh, entrepreneurship and capitalism and, and what it means for our country and the fact that we need to get back to that as, as a model for the country. Uh, but open book management uh, in our company means all of our general ledger codes are assigned to somebody, so somebody owns them. Uh, complete open book management from the financial statements, the income statements, balance sheets. Uh, everybody knows what it takes to run a business, how difficult it is to be profitable, what the uh, income tax situation means to businesses and, and how big of a burden that is on, on businesses, especially as they grow. So uh, when, when you start teaching about how expensive health insurance benefits are and, and logistics costs are and, and businesses are and you educate on how slim the gross margins are, how slim the net margins are, uh, all of those things are kind of eye-opening, if you will, to 90% to of the people. And that was something that I didn't really understand having grown up around parents that were involved in, in business. and. Uh, having sat around the table and just talk about business, it's, it's kind of the way I grew up. So you kind of become naive and, and you don't realize what people don't know. Sure. So it's been it's been huge for us, and we still continue to to teach on that today. Everybody that comes through the door, uh, we're reinforcing it with existing employee owners, but we're also uh, educating every new employee owner that comes on board. Can you give? And this is a little off the cuff, but can you give an example of an employee that came in? kind of learn these concepts and was very green on these thoughts of what all those costs of business look like and then they turned a corner and it clicked for them like wow th there are a lot more expenses to this it's not just the top guys are making money hand over fist in this in this model but there are a ton of expenses there are a ton of logistics there's a ton of the things to think about that I've never thought of could you have an example of an employee that um, that really turned a corner and you, you thought man he, he's got it now yeah, I think one of the first ones that comes to mind is a guy by the name of Chris Armbruster. Uh, Chris uh, was working for us in the warehouse. He came to us. Uh, he was working from Casey's and was recruited and just did a great job at Casey's from a customer service standpoint and came to us, started working in the warehouse and has really embraced our culture, our mission and, and the open book management. Uh, Chris went on to basically launch our, our blending facility. He works in our blending facility now. He was, he was the key uh, person. Uh, along with a plant manager that we brought on to really launch that blending facility and get it going. Uh, but I, I think if you, uh, the nice thing about open book management and financial literacy is you can walk around the warehouse or walk around the blending facility and uh, people understand the financials and they know where it comes from. So that'd be the best example I could give you. That's great. So, and we'll close with this because I know your time is valuable, but um, just on a on a general basis, when you talk to entrepreneurs, or if you were in front of a group of entrepreneurs, and they were wanted to take a leap into business, what what would some advice be that you would give to them as they they start the endeavor? Well, that's a great question. First of all, I would encourage it. Uh, I mean, uh, we need more capitalists, like I said. So, 
anytime there's an opportunity for somebody to do something, I, I would encourage it. I, I would say number one, find something that you're passionate about, but also realize that whatever you do, at some point you may not be doing what you're passionate about because if you're going to grow that business ultimately you're going to be leading and you're going to be coaching people you're going to be hiring a lot of people and, and your job is going to change a lot uh, over the years so uh, if you like uh, doing video production and, and ultimately that's what you want to do make sure that you've got a plan to hire people that are going to run the business and, and there's nothing wrong with that so I, I would say find what you like to do make sure that you mentally you can delegate because you're going to have to hire more people. You're going to have to let go of a lot of things. And, and uh, I was one of them that held on probably too tight to the financials. At the end of the day, um, I think it's better to educate people on the financials and how difficult business is. And I don't think you really realize it, and I, I didn't before I got in, how difficult business is. It, it, it's just extremely tough by the time you pay all of your expenses and, and you pay your taxes and you do all the things that you're regulated to do. So. Um, other than that, I would say uh, go for it. Have a good business plan put together. Uh, find find some financial support, uh, whether that be from a, a angel investor, another entrepreneur, somebody that has confidence in you. In my case, it was a bank. Uh, wasn't the first bank that I went to, but if you're passionate about what you want to do and, and consistent and persistent, then ultimately you you'll most likely find somebody that'll get behind you. Well, Sean, thank you very much for the time. I, uh, again, we're trying to inspire generation entrepreneurs through this through this podcast. I think uh, you take the the long view on it, as you've done with your with your company. Um, just be, before we close, tell a couple places they can go to learn more about who you are, learn maybe a little bit about your company, um, but maybe a couple links that would would be beneficial for them to check out. Yeah, check out uh, www.pfsbrands.com. Uh, you can check out champschicken.com and then you can also follow my blog if you would like uh, check out seanbercham.com it's s-h-a-w-n-b-u-r-c-h-a-m.com and you'll find a lot of uh, information on that blog about entrepreneurship and just uh, good good tips to run in a business sean thank you very much for the time really really appreciate it all right thanks travis appreciate your time